If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey everybody, it's Jim Mallard here. Welcome to the Mallard Report. The Mallard Report is recorded in front of a live virtual audience on the Duck Pond. Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, live. Mallard.com, M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D.com. One more thing before we start. Let me turn it over to my friend that you may know from Ancient Aliens and the Curse of Oak Island and many other things, Robert Clotworthy. On the Malliard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the hosts and guests and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcasts, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. On the Malliard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the show are solely those of the hosts and guests and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcast, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. want to welcome everybody in this evening. I hope everybody's well, staying warm. I, I, you know, it's funny because last week everybody was so happy. It was so warm in Pennsylvania. And now I've got a freeze warning on my phone, so I'm not exactly sure. It must be spring. Okay. My guest tonight is... Dr. Donna Marks. She is a author, consultant, public speaker, psycho- psychotherapist, and addiction counselor for, I'll say decades. I don't need to give her age away. Uh, Donna has written a new important book, The Healing Moment, where she shares the seven paths to healing and recovery. Welcome, Dr. Marks, The Mel Report. How are you doing tonight, Donna? I'm doing very well. Thank you. So, seven paths. So, I, I obviously don't want to give your whole book away, but I do want to give some of it away. Um, so give, give me a little bit more about the book, because I want to start there, because I have an interesting conversation I want to dive into a little bit later. So for those people who have been following this train of, sh- train of shows, that I will get to that in a little bit. But we're first, we're going to talk about your book. <laughs> uh, anything in particular or just general? Uh, it'll be, it'll be, fa- it, I want to talk about social media and addiction, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Let's start with the book first. So we're talking about the Healing Moment book. We have yes. books out right now. Okay. So... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just got confused for a second. So That's okay. the book is really about helping people to go inward for their answers. We've been so conditioned to be programmed and uh, either through, you know, the, the various uh, sources in the media or through religion or through all kinds of messaging. And um, I think it's, we've become very confused. And what I'm conveying in the book is that we all have an inner voice that we can listen to. And that voice is our guide through life. And when we listen to that voice, no matter what we've done or what we're going through or what our future holds, we can make right decisions. And even when we make mistakes, like so many of us do, it's just a natural part of life, that we can use that voice to turn any type of mess we've made or any type of traumatic experience that we're in or going through into a miracle. And uh, the, the book talks about the seven paths that, that leads you to that place of miraculous happiness. So I'm, I'm a bit confused because um, people have been going to you for years for help. And now you're telling people to trust themselves. So it sounds like a direct conflict of interest, if I'm not wrong. <laughs> 
Well, I see what you're saying. Uh, you know, you do go to people to learn how to do things that you might already know how to do because we don't really listen. And so when we learn to, uh, as a therapist, let's say, if someone comes to me, I will help them to discern which voice they're listening to. Are they listening to the fear-driven part of themselves or are they listening to the part of themselves that wants to guide them in the directions that will benefit the most, uh, not just them, but the people that they love as well. So out of the, so seven paths, it sounds kind of complex, but I'm assuming each one has their purpose or suits the person. Yes. Uh, you know, we're always searching. Uh, what my biggest message in the book is we're always searching and yet we are in charge of ourselves and I want us to take our power back. So instead of, you know, Let's just take one path, which is uh, the path of, of trust. And people are feeling betrayed. They're feeling deceived. They're feeling uh, that, that they've um, made mistakes. And so once we know, though, that we can trust, we can trust ourselves to recover no matter what happens to us, no matter how badly we're hurt, we can heal if we use our own healing tools, which allowing ourselves to grieve, allowing ourselves to go through that process of letting go and, and allowing ourselves to forgive, we can heal. And once we learn that we can trust ourselves to, to be able to recover, no matter what happens to us, that is part of the path of, of self-trust. The other part is to be trustworthy. When you know that you are trustable, it's much easier to trust others. But there are people who aren't trustworthy. And when we uh, don't make decisions based on fear and we make those decisions based on love and we listen to that voice, we're a lot less likely to make mistakes when it comes to trusting other people. You know, people say, I should have listened to my gut or I knew it wasn't something was an off or, you know, if other people weren't supporting this person, why was I doing it? So there's always signs, but we, we don't pay attention to them. So trust, the chapter on trust addresses these kinds of things of learning to trust that gut, that inner voice, I call it. Um, and to be able to know that even when we do make a mistake of trusting the wrong people, that we will recover from it, we will heal. What if the internal voice is telling you two different things? Because um, like, I, because I like you know when I'm doing the show, there's all these like okay, we're doing video tonight. Like for years, I said, well, I won't say what I said, but you can get the idea. There was a four-letter word followed by no. Uh, so, but now tonight, I've kind of well, not tonight. The last couple months, I've slowly started to embrace it. So, what about that internal conflict? Because one, well, there are times where you, I mean, obviously it's the right thing to do because these kids these days are watching more YouTube than ever. But, <laughs> but yet, my voice says no. How do we how do we weigh through that? Well, your voice said no video. Yeah, but I know it. I, my my mind knows it's the right thing to do, right? Because okay, like so that's said. that's the two voices. Yes, that's the two right. voices. I'm talking about. The voice that said no was the voice of fear because you didn't want to do video because. Well, because I've got the face for radio, maybe. No, <laughs> you didn't want to be seen. Well, I mean, there are nights that I don't want to be seen, you know, and there are times that um, well, you know, there's obstacles, and you know, it's hard to um come across when you like when you're listening and taking notes and you know it's just sometimes feel disheveled if you're not because then people are like well he wasn't paying attention because he was writing something or he was on his phone he, you know all these little chirps that you can get from people 
So that voice of fear was afraid of being judged or that you wouldn't look right or professional enough or good enough or shaved yeah. enough or presentable enough and all this negativity. And yet, you know, that um, people want to see faces because they relate, they relate. And so if you have, haven't shaved, that's cool. He's just being real tonight. Or, you know, he's taking notes. He's really into it. I mean, you cannot uh, possibly get everybody to like you if you came perfect <laughs> on the set every single time, you know? So it doesn't really matter. There will be people who will really hang on and appreciate you. And there will be people who won't. And, you know, you're speaking to the ones who want to receive your message. So you did the right thing by listening to that voice that said, go for it. Well, that's good. That's what I like to hear. But I mean, obviously those are, we get hundreds of, of those decisions a day where we could do one thing or the other. So how do we start you say listening to that inner voice, but like I said, there's always that other voice that's kind of nagging What's you. What's the choice the between the two voices, the one of fear or the one of love? The fear is always the aggressive voice. It's the loud voice and it's the wrong one. It's the voice that will talk you into doing the wrong thing and then beat you up for doing it. You know, it'll say, don't turn on your video. And then when your competitors are getting all the numbers <laughs> and the one main key is that they've got the video is uh you're going that same voice that said don't do the video i'll say you stupid idiot you should have had video on all these past two years you would have had better numbers so that's that's that very aggressive loud voice it wants immediate gratification it doesn't want to try and work things out it doesn't want to listen to the other voice the other voice is saying like what what the one the one that said you know have the cameras is saying you know everyone's watching they want to see you so let them relate to you. You don't have anything to fear or hide. Get out there and be seen. So I hope other people are out there taking that to whatever they're applying to. I just had to bear the brunt of this for me. Okay, so you've, you mentioned you have other books out. You have two or three out. I, I meant to write them all down, but I got I got into it, and then my mind started to swirl because there's so many different little streets that I wanted to go off of off them. So go ahead and give me the full promotion of what you got out there. Well, uh, we, we, we released uh, Exit the Maze, One Addiction, One Cause, One Solution last December. It's doing very well. And uh, The Healing Moment, Seven Paths to Turn Messes into Miracles. And then a few years ago, before I had a publisher, I wrote a book called Learn, Grow, Forgive, A Path to Spiritual Success. And that book is about, you know, it doesn't really matter uh, how many mistakes you make. You can learn and grow from them. You, you know, we say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. And I say that's really not insane to do the same thing over and over again. Most people will repeat their mistakes, but it's not insane if you're growing and learning and digging deeper, you know, and really getting, you know, juicing it, I say, really juicing those mistakes so that you're expanding, shrinking your ego, shrinking your sense of, uh, whatever is blocking you in life and, and expanding, but you have to be able to forgive yourself and other people. Which is interesting because it is hard to forgive other people at times because they've did you wrong, whatever the wrong was. So how do you start that process of forgiving somebody that did something that is quote unquote unforgivable? Right. Well, that that's, well, that's one of the chapters in the book. And uh, I even give an example of a woman whose daughter was murdered. That's certainly an unforgivable type of thing. Uh, so she did have to go through a, a very painful process. Um, one of the things that I talk about in forgiveness is that at the root, 
we often blame ourselves. Uh, in this case, she was like, you know, inadvertently and covertly blaming herself. I, you know, I told her not to be on that street corner. I begged her not to ever hang out there. And so and part of her was saying if she could have controlled her daughter better, she wouldn't have been shot on that street corner. Um, or, you know, there was other layers involved in that too, in terms of, you know, how she, you know, she could have been a, not been a single mom. She could have raised her differently, things like that. Um, but then there's forgiving the person who shot her, which took a little bit more time. And sometimes people just have to really go through those grieving stages of being outraged, of being in so much pain, crying and, and embracing that loss. And then uh, we do get to the point of acceptance and we do get to the point uh, that if, and this isn't something that you rush through, but the, the end result is that you can even have compassion for someone who hurt or harmed you yeah. and find yeah. meaning in the experience. Do you have to forgive yourself for all those negative thoughts first before you forgive the other person though? I think having negative thoughts is a very, very uh, normal process of trauma when someone's gone through a lot of trauma. And I'm using that word now because you said some, the unforgivable. So uh, there's, you know, there's minor traumas. Uh, anytime there's betrayal, anytime someone has taken advantage of someone, uh, someone who's deliberately hurt someone who someone has dismissed or disregarded um, the value or worth of another or what someone actually is entitled to, like honesty and trust in a relationship, there's going to be a certain amount of trauma. And yes, you know, forgiving ourselves and the other person is possible. But it's only not normal to go through a lot of negative emotions getting to that place. In fact, if you don't allow yourself to purge those negative emotions, you probably won't get to the place of forgiveness. Interesting, because I know there's a lot of people out there that carry that with them or, well, I guess carry it with them. I can't say or. They just hold that resentment or that anger or whatever it may be for years, which is I, I agree with you. There's, there, it's hard. It's hard. Once you get rid of it, it, your life's a lot better. Right. And it's like carrying around suitcases full of rocks and dragging them with you wherever you go. You know, you drag them to bed, you drag them to work, you drag them through every single relationship because here's this wall, you know, this wall of suitcases full of rocks. But you, by God, you have to carry those around with you because they protect me. You know, I'm not going to get hurt again. And you're hurting yourself every single moment of every single day with that wound that you continue to carry. We are we are designed that we can heal. All you have to do is look at any child. A child gets sad. They cry. And then they go, oh, can I go out and play now? <laughs> you know? Even when something terrible happens to them, as long as they're allowed to process that emotion, they get over it. They heal. They, it, they need the support. They need the nurturing. And they need to be told it's okay. So many children aren't getting that message. And so they grow up bottling it all in, holding it all in. Same thing with anger. A child gets angry. They get it out. Uh, they have to be taught how to find words for their anger and not throw things or hit people and things like that. But once it's out, then the anger can dissipate. Then they can go to the next level of learning how to resolve conflicts within themselves and with others. So these are basic tools that so many of us lack. And so that's why we carry that 
hurt around because we don't know what to do with it. And then by the time they do come into my office, they say, I don't want to feel that. Why? What? One woman stopped therapy because she started crying. Uh, and, and the first session, she started crying about her first boyfriend. And she had never cried before. And she's like, why am I crying about this? She got so upset. And she wouldn't come back in. And, you know, it's, it's really sad because it's okay to cry. We're supposed to cry. And it, it, she wasn't really able to ever meet anybody else because she still had that in her heart. And so when we allow ourselves to cry and release, then we open up the, 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 those painful places to new life and to joy and to peace. Which I'll speak for myself. I know it's difficult for my, myself at times to process emotions, especially cry and just kind of allow that sorrow to happen just because that, you know, there's that stereotypical thing that, you know, Western Pennsylvania grew up as a, you know, young man. So you just don't show those emotions in front of people and, you, you know, deal with it later. So I understand what you're talking about, how it can be difficult to. Right accept those emotions, deal with those emotions in the, in the moment, let alone wait six weeks, six months, six years to try to start processing it. So yeah, it's harder for a minute. <laughs> yeah. Well, we cover it up with laughing. Yeah. Or, you know, self-medicate yeah. in a million other ways, but um, it, it's it, for men who have been taught, you know, what, what are you a sissy or, you know, get a grip or I'll give you something to cry about, or, you know, cut that out right this minute. You really learn to shut off your feelings. And um, that's, that's sad because they really don't go away. They just get packed away and stowed away. And then you, you, you carry it with you. So what I try to teach men uh, and I, and I've worked with probably more men than women over the years is that, you know, just start off by just when you're, when you feel that immediate, you know, emotion, just kind of close your eyes and be with it. You don't have to worry about crying or anything else. Just kind of give yourself permission to feel like it's perfectly normal and healthy for a boy or a girl to feel. Otherwise you would be, boys would be born without that part of their uh, brain and mind and girls would be. So we both feel and it's perfectly healthy and natural to do that. Uh, now, I don't think it, it it's really serves either sex to just be bursting out in tears all the time, although there, a lot of people will do that for a short period of time when they've been bottled up for their whole life. But to, to you know, we're doing a better job now with, with um, you know, healthy parenting and, and giving permission. You know, it's OK to be sad, telling boys it's OK to be sad. Um, and at the same time, you know, learning how to be strong, but it's not weak to be sad. There's strength in allowing yourself to feel your emotions. And it's very healthy. Uh, we have another problem now with young people not feeling at all because they're so programmed electronically and they uh, aren't, they're not even engaging in situations that evoke much emotion other than aggression or winning or <laughs> stimulation. And so that's a whole new set of, of uh, baggage for um, younger people, uh, so that really needs to be balanced out. I'm not saying electronics are bad. In fact, they have the value of developing sensory motor development and, and teaching kids to think quickly and things like that. But there should be definitely be balance. You know, being outside, playtime, and fresh air and sunshine, and and having friends over and playing games. You know, real games, on board games, and card <laughs> games, and tag and war and stuff like that. Um, it's really good to have that kind of balance. 
Yeah, for over the last few weeks, I've been talking about technology, and then I've got into AI a little bit. And last week, we talked about AI in schools and how, what you know, your traditional high school essay kind of looks very different now because you've got all these chat bots that can write stuff for you. And even the other day, I seen, I think it was Snapchat that ruled out the AI friend that you could have, and it'll talk to you all the time. And it's like, I've seen all these ads for apps, you know, and now you hear about people saying, ask, ask the bot, the, to write your answer to your girlfriend so you don't get in trouble. And I'm like, oh, yeah. now we're in trouble because if we're not emotionally pro and th that's why I was glad to have you on the, cause this all kind of came as we've been layering down through this. And I'm like, well, if we're replacing my genuine, uh, whatever bad, good, indifferent answer with something that has been filtered and wrote to sound, whatever, Later on, when I actually go to talk to this person <laughs> and whatever spews out of my mouth does not match whatever I said via text weeks, days earlier, that's going to cause a lot of problems in relationships. Well, that's one problem. The other problem is the feeling of deception that someone would have that they're getting um, a, a robot instead of a human being. <laughs> and so I think there was a really good movie. I don't remember the name of it. No. Um, Joaquin uh, starred in it. Uh, he fell in love with a robot uh, on his phone. Oh. A artificial intelligence. I'm sure somebody will have the name for us here in a few yeah. minutes. <laughs> it was really good. I mean, he literally bonded with this voice because she was the perfect woman. And then, you know, it, it ended poorly because he had to face the reality that she wasn't only the perfect woman, she wasn't alive at all. And she was just programmed and she had thousands of people that were in love with her so to speak he wasn't exclusive and and you know this is this is some of the, some of the, the problem we're going to face with um artificial intelligence and also that we're not thinking when you can just push a button and it writes uh, the perfect term paper or, or uh, i guess it, it could be handy for research but you know we're getting further and further away from using our minds and that will make us like robots in itself and we don't want to do that being a human being is a wonderful, beautiful experience. If we're having problems with it, we need some coaching and some help on how to appreciate it and how to do it differently so that we can enjoy ourselves. One of the things I talk about in this book is that we're, you know, we're not here to medicate ourselves, to, to zone out, to shut down, to, to isolate, to be miserable. We're here. We all have a purpose. We all have meaning. And uh, we're here to, to love and to laugh and to play and to contribute. And so when we're doing those things, we get along really well. And we do have our ups and downs, of course, but it's mostly ups and few downs. And we recover from those downs. But when we're stuck in some kind of uh, unconscious behavior and mindset, we are not very happy. And a robot is never going to satisfy that need for fulfillment. So Germantown Runner pops in. It was her. The title of the movie it was released right, in 2015. Right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's that interaction, that real time interaction that people need, uh, because otherwise we would have been up the creek without the paddle. But, um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> a human being gave us the answer. How nice! <laughs> he said it was a good movie, but a little creepy. And I, I get the feeling that he's probably right because I mean, that was supposed to be futuristic, and here we are, less than 10 years later or maybe 10 years later, either way, um, seeing that as a very real possibility 
which blows my mind because what is sci science fiction anymore? But that's a whole different conversation for another day. Yeah. But <laughs> so as as the world has evolved into this, this Facebook world, what have you noticed some of the biggest, I don't want to say problems, but changes with people as we become more networked, but less together? Is that fair? Well, uh you know, it's it's a it's a perverse answer. Okay, we're more together and and less related, so less connected, and we're not um, forming these kinds of attachments that are so important in life. Like you go do things with people and you have dinner with people or breakfast and cards and and uh, special interests and backgammon or you know golfing or what there's just so much uh, social media hours and hours and hours and one of the real dangers is that people hurt each other on there especially young people it's a very serious uh, the mean the mean people syndrome I call it you know where someone uh, talks about someone openly about another person and that person is so deeply hurt especially at a young age we're very fragile we're, we don't have those protective defenses yet and uh, like we do when we're older hopefully when like we do when we're older and it's um it, it, it could be very tragic and kids are you know we, we were hearing all the time kids are actually, um, becoming very depressed. Some of them are ending their lives. And, and that's really a lack of reality is contributing. It's all this negativity that they're believing and they don't have the outlet of, you know, a tribe of friends that they go do things with and say, oh, don't pay attention to that or stay off of there, you know, hang out with us. Uh, it could be a very trying thing for a young person to go through that. So that's part of the problem. And then we're trying to get all this affirmation off of social media if I tell people, if you want to be on it, make a contribution. Don't try to get something back from it. I mean, if you're marketing, that's one thing. But I mean, don't try to get your self-esteem off of social media. Be a contributor to help other people feel good. Then you can keep it into perspective. Oh, that's good. I, I, I'm a marketer. Uh, whoops. Shameless promotion sometimes. But I don't go there looking for, like you were saying, the affirmations, the feel good, the whatever. Because... Odds are it's not there. I mean, you'll find the mean person nine times out of ten if you look for them hard enough. Of course, I stopped looking for them years ago because, uh, like you, it's just kind of like, okay, whatever. Try to ruin my day. Try her. Um, but the me, uh, the good stuff. It's it's also hard to find good stuff out there. I, I mean, just in general. So you have to find it within yourself and give it to other people. Yes, that's one approach, but our look, our look for the good stuff, uh, if you're going to be on social media or on the internet, and there's plenty of good stuff available, like your show. <laughs> well, thank you. Okay, now, how do we, I'm always interested in, because I've got, oh God, I've got two teenagers at home, just, again, that always hits me hard now, because, you know, it just happened a couple months ago. Uh, how do we make sure, as just parents. Just having them a couple months ago, or? No, well, just that it turned. She turned thirteen a couple months ago, so now it's oh. two teenagers. <laughs> and your little you know, girl got hijacked. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, when did that happen? Uh, <laughs> right, like, oh, no, they've been here for years, but uh, when when did right. that happen? Right. Um, how do we make sure that we're doing the best we can by them in this digital mess that we live in today? Uh, I, I actually have a YouTube video where I'm talking to a, a thirteen-year-old young man and. I, I love working with teenagers because they are so clear. And what happens often with parents, they don't value how wise they are. 
they see things much clearer than adults most of the time. And uh, they, they haven't yet entered the world of disillusion and illusions. <laughs> and so when you, you can just ask questions, whatever you're worried about, you can just say, hey, how do you feel about this? Or what do you think about that? And they'll tell you, and then you can affirm it. Like, that's really a good, that's a really good way of looking at that. For example, uh, fentanyl is on everyone's mind. And you could say, you know, like, what are you, what are you going to do if you're at a party and someone pulls out a drug, you know, like a pill or, you know, have you heard? I mean, what do you think about this fentanyl thing? And they'll tell you what they think. They're, they're very aware of what's going on. Um, or even if they say, I don't know, say, you know, I hear it on, I hear it. Is, is it true? I mean, maybe, maybe the news is overrating it. Like, what do you hear at school? You know, and what do you think about it? And what do you feel about this? And, and they will tell you if, you, if they feel safe and, and you don't interrupt them and you let them express themselves, they will tell you and you find out your kids are very smart. Um, I was working with one family one time, uh, the kid, uh, he was like less than a teenager and he put signs all over the house, no smoking, no drinking, little paper signs all over the house because that's what his parents were doing too much in his opinion. And he wound up drinking and smoking and drugging too much as, as an adult. Um, that's what I mean. Before they become delusional themselves, they're very clear. <laughs> and, uh, but really just taking the time to pull, pull out what they already know and then affirm them. You know, you know, you can say things like that is, I am so impressed. I wish I would have, you know, ha had my head on that straight when I was younger. I wish I would have been able to think like you're thinking right now. How do you feel about it? How do you feel about uh, a robot or artificial intelligence write, writing a paper for some of the kids and the other kids are, you know, having to really research it and write it on their own. What do you think of that? You know, that kind of stuff. And they will tell you, they, they don't volunteer the information, but they will tell you and they will feel very respected and very valued when you affirm that they have a good head on their shoulders. And so many kids do. Even kids who've been traumatized still know the truth. And they will be able to talk about it. What about those kids that have been traumatized? I mean, they're all in their in everybody's life if they know it or not. How do we help them? I mean, I don't necessarily want to have them tell me all their problems and all their baggage, but I mean, how do we be better humans towards them so they can, if they want to, you know, work through that, but not like I said, I don't want to necessarily say, well, I know you've went through this, that, and the other. Now we're going to sit here and talk about it, but just help them understand that there are adults out there that aren't going to harm yeah. them. My, um, my, my youngest daughter often brought her, <laughs> she knew I'd gone through a lot of trauma uh, in my childhood and that, I, I don't regret any of it because it helped me to be a better therapist. And I, I, one of the things I talk about, you know, the messes in my life really got turned into a lot of wonderful miracles. And the biggest miracle is being able to help others. <clears throat> but my daughter used to bring people home who she was worried about, you know, and we just kind of sit around talking and, and then, uh, you know, a child will say something or you can have your, your daughter, you have a daughter and a son. Yep. Yeah. Might bring it up or, um, but they, they'll open up. They, they usually will. You could, you know, you don't just launch right into it, but just kind of ease into it. And, 
And uh, you maybe maybe talk about somebody else that's going through something and then they'll open up. I went through that, that kind of thing. Um, I think the most important message that we can give a, a, a child that's gone through trauma, not to try and take the responsibility of it or fix it, but to validate that that, that must really be painful. And if you think that they're in danger, you know, physically, sexually, um, uh, they're in a violent environment or something, then you might want to consider some type of intervention, but you better be sure because you don't want to just go marching into somebody's family as some kind of righteous warrior and um, it may not necessarily be warranted. But um, in most cases, just validating that that's really difficult to go through and you don't, you know, you can maybe talk to your school counselor. There's plenty of help available. There's plenty of places you can go, but don't carry this around and don't take, don't internalize it that this is your fault. Sometimes parents go through their own stuff and they make a lot of mistakes and they don't realize they're making the mistakes. They don't realize they're reenacting their own trauma. They don't realize they have a substance abuse problem. They don't realize they're saying and doing all the wrong things that are very hurtful and harmful to you. That doesn't justify it, but it does mean that it's not your fault that it's happening. So Shifting Gears brought to you by evergreenpodcast.com. Shifting Gears brought to you by evergreenpodcast.com. Let's talk about addiction for a little bit. Um, I, among, I mean, I understand it's very powerful, and once you're in it, it's hard to get back out of. But my first question to you is, is addiction like an inherited trait, or is it a learned trait, or is it just something that happens? Well, obviously, if there's a family history, you would be more susceptible and what they're teaching us now is that addiction is a brain disorder. And I violently react to that. I don't believe that all these people that are suffering addiction, which is almost everybody uh, either knows someone who has an addiction or is addicted. And when I talk about addiction, I'm not talking about drugs and alcohol. I'm talking about, as I say in the other book I mentioned earlier, there's one, it's that invisible hole. And it'll seek out anything, gambling, porn, sex, love, uh, relationships, shopping, you name it, you know, cigarettes, there's just no end to, to the search. So that's why treatment doesn't work because, you know, you get treated for one addiction and you leave treatment and you engage in another. And so uh, it, it's, you know, until we recognize that that void has to be filled with something other than addiction and I teach people literally how to replace every addiction with self-love so they can learn how to love themselves, which is a whole nother conversation. But I don't believe it's a brain disorder. I don't believe that all these babies that are born all the time are born with brain disorders. I just don't believe that. That makes no sense at all. If they have addiction in their family history, chances are they will be more susceptible. But I believe that babies are born perfect. Of course, I understand that some babies have birth defects. I understand that. But even babies with birth defects, you can look on the internet and you can see people who have severe birth defects, no arms and legs, being motivational speakers and making a lot of money and being happily married and making a contribution on the planet. So they're not addicts. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so let's get a grip here. I think that what happens with addiction is the addiction dysregulates your brain. And as your brain, as a, whether it's sugar or drugs or nicotine or just that intensity, you know, video games and all these other things, 
your brain literally gets affected by all that and becomes dis, uh, dysregulated. So once the person learns how to eat healthy, exercise, stop putting toxins in their bloodstream and in their brain and uh, learns how to uh, feel their feelings in healthy ways like we were talking about earlier, regulate their emotions, that brain becomes perfectly healthy. Just like when you quit smoking, your lung becomes nice and pink again if you haven't done too much damage to it. Once you cross a certain line, it is irreparable, but it, our, our body and our organs are extremely resilient and so they will heal. And um, that's my, con that's my, uh, it's not a popular, everybody's saying now it's a brain disorder. They don't use addiction at all in the uh, diagnostic manuals. It's, you know, this disorder and that disorder. And I think that's very troubling because if you have a brain disorder, then you have to treat addiction with addiction. And so many people now are being treated with addiction, with pills and with pills that are very hard to come off of. I've seen people, they can't get off of the pills. They go through hell getting off the pills. This does not make sense to me at all. Someone make you scream at me here now, which is perfectly fine because I want you to. Okay, maybe not, but okay. Is there such a thing as a healthy addiction? Like, Because, you know, you hear about the runner's high and, you know, all those other things. Is that possible? Or is well, that just kind as, of a marathon, as a person who ran some marathons, I, I know that high. It's a nice high. It's a good, healthy high. Um, the difference between an addiction and, and doing something a lot is that there's negative consequences. So if someone, um, we, we have a couple of people here where I live, they, they run, they must run 10, 12 miles every day. They don't eat and they look like skeletons out there running around. That is an, that is an addiction to uh, exercise and that is not healthy. But someone who's training for a marathon and it's age appropriate and they're eating healthy and their life is great and they like that natural endorphin high that's and, and they're okay if they miss a day of running they're not freaking out over it you know then there, um, there's no negative consequence so it wouldn't be an addiction so okay so whatever the addiction may be we'll use running for the example here those bad case people because that way it doesn't offend anybody okay so i okay i don't have a running problem but person x has a running problem how, I mean, once they have admitted the problem, I mean, I think we're all familiar with the 12 steps that the alcohol economists use. Is that kind of the course of path that people should be taking or is there something better, more modern? Well, it depends on uh, how far along the addiction has progressed. Um, I, I happen to think that the, the recovery programs are wonderful. I, I've done um, a lot of personal uh, investigation and uh, I won't say which recovery programs I've belonged to, um, but I've tried most of them. And, um, and I've had a lot of different addictions myself. Uh, so that's why I came to the realization that there's just one. And uh, once you, um, you get the right kind of help, you don't need to be addicted anymore. And, and you can have a very productive and happy life. I, I feel like I, I, one of my blogs is, you know, addiction is a blessing in disguise and I believe that because I think it takes you places that you wouldn't go otherwise in terms of personal growth and spiritual development and having uh, a really strong self-examination on an ongoing basis. And it, it makes us better people and we get back too. So uh, it has all the components of really good mental health. 
they're, they're not perfect. Uh, there's 12-step programs for smart recovery. There's therapy. There's inpatient treatment, outpatient treatment. Um, I have a concierge practice. Uh, I had a regular psychotherapy practice for most of my career, but the past three years I've had a concierge practice. So I actually take people to meetings and do about 30 hours of therapy a week, and they involve uh, the whole family or the whole business uh, group or whoever they want to include in that process. So there's just, there, there's free help like through 12 steps and smart recovery and other types of meetings like that, or there's very expensive treatment. It just depends on the needs, what the person can afford. And I can't say that one is necessarily any better than the other. You just read my mind. I was going to say, is there a cookie cutter method that works or is it, uh, you've, you've mentioned spiritual uh, spiritual journey several times, so I think it's probably up to the person. Is that what I'm supposed to assume here? Is it up to the person? Is that yeah, well, yeah, because well, if, if it was cookie cutter, it was easy. You'd be telling me that person needs to do X, Y, and Z, but it seems like there's multiple options for everybody. Who... Well, there are, there are different options. Um, so not everybody wants to go to a treatment center or a, a recovery meeting, um, and, and especially people who are, are, it's very important to them to remain private. Um, but most people would get, in my opinion, as much benefit from going to a 12-step meeting after, if they have a substance abuse problem, after they've detoxed, they will get as much or more out of that than most treatment. And, the sa and it's safer because they're not going to put you on medication in those meetings. Which medication, that's a whole other topic for another show. It seems that... Um... How do I say this nicely? Because I don't want to upset any potential sponsors that may have a pill. Um, there's too many of them. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> people that are selling nutrients, you know, and amino acids and vitamins. <laughs> I have some magical oil too. We, well, wait, we can't disregard that either. Um, boy, this is the worst segue in the history of radio here. Um, tell, people, <laughs> tell people about your website, where they can find your books and all that other stuff. Um, well, my website's Dr. Donna Marks, D-O-N-N-A-M-A-R-K-S.com. And my books are actually on the website, but they're also on Amazon and uh, Barnes & Noble. Uh, the Simon Schuster website uh, has, has them. And uh, you can go to any bookstore and they will order it because Simon Schuster is, is distributing the book. And um, that's, I think that pretty much covers all the places that you could, you could get the books. Which is great. I mean, that's a great option to have out there, especially for those people. I, I, another form of addiction, right? The the need for the paper book, let alone the, the digital e-reader anymore. Maybe that's I not a bad. Personally, um, I read the Seven Habits of Successful People years ago, and uh, one of the things he said was, you know, people people are successful are always reading books. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd already been reading books. That's why I read his book, <laughs> but um, Stephen Covey. But um, I, I always have a stack of books um, by my bed. I read in the morning. I read at night. And, you know, it's not like a project. You know, it's like one or two pages of two or three books. And before you know it, those are done, you, you know, and that one's done. You bring in another. And, and it, it, keeps, it keeps your mind engaged and learning and growing and active. And I think that's really important. And it's a nice little ritual, you know, getting the book and turning the pages and about it. Stimulates you know, your you Four pages of two or three different books. My head just hurts. I'd be lost. <laughs> you might be surprised. I mean, if they're all the same subject, but if they're different subjects, you might be surprised. 
You know, we compartmentalize all the time. So why not compartmentalize something positive? Okay. I may have to try it just to take your word. I'll, I'll take your word for it and try it, but no promises there because, uh, well, sometimes I forget. It's Tuesday, right? Okay. Uh, <laughs> what is... Okay, so we've kind of delruised through the bad of the world today with all the internet and all this other stuff, but there has to be some good that comes from this besides us being able to talk tonight. Is there any well, good out there? I think the internet is wonderful. Um, I mean, when it's working. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's fantastic that, uh, you know, you don't have to wait till you get home to get your messages. Uh, it's fantastic that you don't have to go to drive to a library to go through some encyclopedias to get some information or buy a whole set of books uh, on encyclopedias um, that you can find anything at your fingertips. It is a wonderful uh, opportunity. There's all kinds of meet and greet groups and social interests. And, and I think people find things that they would not find uh, through a phone book in the past. And so, um, you know, there's, it's just wonderful in so many ways. You can get reviews, you can make reviews, you can find anything uh, in the world. You can find it on the internet. And so it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity for information. As long as you're looking for the right information and getting yes, the right information. Yes, and also is that, you, that, that you recognize that um, you may be getting some biased information at times too. So you surf different sources to kind of find the middle ground there of what's really going on. <laughs> <laughs> that can be hard to do, especially like when you're out. I hate health, the self-help title, right? Because, you know, if I help, could help myself, I wouldn't be looking for self-help. Uh <laughs> Because oh, that's I've always it's always annoyed me. So yeah, that's standard. What would you call it? Help? I don't know. Help? Yeah. The help Think, section. Things you should know, but you already did, obviously don't. No. I like there's that. So the, help, the help section. Yeah, there's so there's so much though, right? You can get overloaded because you're talking oh, about yeah. affirmations yeah. and all this other stuff, and you can really get lost in trying to make yourself feel good. And I don't is that is there I don't know what am I looking for here a well, way to was self helping would you know I go I love bookstores I really love bookstores and you know it's so much fun now because they have coffee shops and stuff like that and you sit there and kind of grab a few and peruse and then pick the one you want um, while you have your coffee or your tea or whatever and um, and so kind of you know you can ask like. This I'm looking for a book on personal growth or spirituality or whatever. Where do I go? And and just kind of look around at the covers and see what you know. Look at the back where it tells you what what it's about, and and you'll know something will speak to you. And uh, like I said, sit down with it, read the intro, or look to the table of contents. And if it's you know, sometimes I'll go, eh. and sometimes you know, it's like, oh, this is an interesting. And I would get it, read it. Most people who buy books don't read them. <laughs> they start and then they don't read them. And that's really um, a disservice because there's every book has at least one pearl of wisdom in it, whether it's a novel or self-help or fiction, nonfiction, fairy tale, whatever. There's something to be, there's a message. 
And so reading is a really wonderful thing. And yes, it is. Uh, I, I, I love it and I encourage people to do it. It's like music, it feeds your soul and, uh, and nature. These are things that really our soul craves and uh, it, it, it ignites your imagination. Um, what I really wanted to keep in mind when I was writing The Healing Moment is I wanted people to feel like I was talking to them. I understood them. I'd been through it and um, consolidated a lot of information and presented it in a simple form that would help people to feel a better appreciation for themselves. As human beings, we struggle and we try so hard and sometimes we just give up. But I don't want anybody to give up because everybody has a jewel inside of them. Everybody has a gift and it may have gotten lost, but I want them to find it and I want them to be able to embrace it and fulfill that purpose and have meaning in their lives. Because when we do that, no matter what we've been through it, all suddenly it's like, oh, now I get it, it makes sense. And then you can make that contribution. Back. So I think, so we may have confused some people tonight, which is probably the good thing to do, but now let's, let's take a moment now that everybody's confused and on their journey and now they're kind of had this realization, maybe they're not expressing their emotions well or shouldn't be using AI to communicate with their spouse or any number of things that we've kind of crossed off the list of things they shouldn't be doing. So let's take a minute and give them the opportunity, like recenter themselves in the moment and start to go forward in a better place. So give me some pearls of wisdom on that. I'm going to steal your own line and use it against you. Well, one of the things that um, I talk about in the book is to, to recognize that no one will ever love you more than you love yourself. And if you want love, and I hope that you do, I hope that you haven't given up on it because it hasn't given up on you. If you want love, be the love that you want and you will have it. Because when you go out into the world every day or you wake up with, with a sense of love and appreciation for your sheets, for your pillow, for if you're on the ground, for the ground, whatever, for the trees, you know, for so much that we don't see and we don't, and we don't appreciate anymore because we've gotten so inward. We've become so inward in, in our box, I call it. Take the lid off and open up and go into the world being love and loving. There's someone who needs you. There's someone close to you that could be your friend, someone you could help, someone could help you. When you're in the when you're in the traffic uh, and you're frustrated with the way people are driving, try to be compassionate. When haven't I driven like that <laughs> at times? <laughs> when you see someone struggling, help them a little bit. Smile at people. Ask about themselves. Today, I was getting some tires changed, and the guy wanted to talk about Biden. <laughs> I didn't want to talk about Biden. But I listened and he was in some really wise things to say. And, you know, we just had a nice little encounter. Uh, you know, every encounter can be a loving encounter, no matter where you are, but just open up. And once you start being love to people and to your surroundings, you will feel the love that you're looking for. And that is really the, the greatest message that I'd like to convey in my book and to anyone who's listening to your show tonight. That is wonderful. That is 
hard to top, and I'm looking at the time. We still have a few minutes left. I don't know how we're going to... Oh. <laughs> now, but okay, so you're being loving and being kind, and we're trying to forgive people. I still feel like we're missing something. Like, there's this piece that just... I haven't put my finger on it yet. Well, what is it? Maybe you already have it figured out for me. Well, I think you're going to have to get the book and read it. <laughs> there's lots <laughs> of pieces missing. <laughs> Well, you said there's seven paths, so if I got loving and, and forgive, there's five more? No. <laughs> right. Is that is that what you're right. telling and me? And it might be a second book after that, so. Because oh, I've already no. thought of some that aren't in the book. Not a second book. No. <laughs> Not a <laughs> I guess that, that, that always got, oh, man, you're jumping me to that, because I just always ask the author if there's more coming in. You just said there was. Oh, I have several more books inside of me, some fiction and nonfiction. Yeah. So let's, let's, dra let's drag this backwards for a minute, though. What made you start? I mean, because obviously you've only written a few so far. So what made you want to jump into that pool of writing books? Oh, that's so interesting. I really um, just knew I had to do it. And finally, I did. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the first one um I self-published and you know, I learned so much. Oh my goodness. And, and any, any um, ambitious writers out there, uh, I just, you just must follow your dream and everything else will fall into place. Um, I self-published um, through um, a press company that really was less than reputable. They kind of went off the name of someone else. I won't mention it uh, on the air, but um, I, I, I trust, here's one of the things I was talking about earlier, trust, you know, I trusted the name of the person they were using as their marketing um, campaign. And that was a mistake. Um, the person really had no more affiliation with the company and it had become very, um, well, let's just say less than reputable. But anyhow, they did deliver on what they said they would deliver. Um, but, uh, you know, I just, uh, I wasn't receiving royalties and that was a little bit of an argument, <laughs> but <laughs> anyhow, I, mean, I didn't know anything about marketing. So I was hiring people for marketing and, and that's a whole nother sea of, you know, caution. So anyhow, I don't beat myself up for the money I wasted. I learned a lot. I learned so much and my writing improved. And uh, when I wrote the second book, I actually hired an, a really good professional editor out of New York who I would be happy to share her name with anybody that's interested. Actually, she's in Connecticut, but I met her in New York. And, um, and so the, that book was so good that it won 23 awards. And uh, uh, I was telling a friend of mine about it. This is why I say write your book no matter what. Don't pay any attention to what you hear about all the people writing all these books and you're wasting your time because you're not. <clears throat> um, so I was talking to this friend of mine who I barely knew, and she had asked me about the book. And I saw it's doing really well. It won 23 awards. And she said, oh, you know, I have a friend who's a book agent. You should meet her. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> so I met the book agent, and, and she, um, she signed me up, and she found a publisher for the third book, which is The Healing Moment. Uh, and then they liked, um, they liked that, so they said they would publish that. And then they wanted to know if I would revise exit the maze the book on addiction and i said yes of course <laughs> of course i will so they published that also so this is and and, and they're doing very well because they have you know that the, they have the agreement with simon schuster so it's getting distributed all over the place um we're selling many many copies it's very exciting and uh, i get to be on shows like yours and talk about it and share my message 
I want people to be happy. We are not here to suffer. And I suffered for a long time, but I share in the books how to get out of that and how to reclaim your personal power and to be happy and joyous, no matter what's going on, even when you're not, you know, you can be, you can be having an, an experience and, but down deep, you know, you're going to be okay. And you still feel at peace because you know that you're in the right place. So the world doesn't have to be for you to be okay. And, uh, and the, the, there's so many miracles that come out of every situation if we open up to them. Yeah, I always remind myself, it's the darkest before the dawn. It's not in the middle of the, it's not midnight when people traditionally think it's dark. It's right before that light pops up across the, the horizon there and you kind of, yes. it's, sure. it's tough, but it's tough, but there's always good stuff that comes out of this. Okay. And there, if, if there's any testimonial for your work, it's just you, right? Because obviously you've, you're living a good life and you've, followed through with your own actions. I can see it. You, you're a happy person and turned successful. I mean, not that you weren't successful before. Don't take that the wrong way. No, uh, no it wasn't, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't born with the spoon for sure. I struggled. <laughs> I was teenage uh, single mom and uh, working as a waitress and had to crawl my way out of poverty. It was not a fun, but it was definitely a growing experience and, and it's all part of my, it's all part of why I believe in the human being. I believe in everybody who's listening and everyone who wants to be here for the reason they're here. I'm doing what I'm here to do, to help. And, uh, and I would not be nearly as helpful had I not gone through those kinds of experiences. So as you, as you look forward, what's the biggest hurdle that people are going to face in the next couple of years with, with mental health, I guess, just in, in a broad stroke? Well, the, the, I think the, the hurdle is the same and it's always been a just more, um, more stimuli now. And the hurdle is fear. And so um, we don't need to be so fearful. Uh, what, and, and, you know, this whole thing, you know, anxiety and depression, we don't have to be anxious and depressed. There are tools for that. And it doesn't have to be a, a pill uh, or pills. <laughs> one isn't enough. You need one for this and one for that. And, um, and you don't need that. What you need is yourself. You need yourself. And um, my book's teach people how to connect to themselves and take their power unto themselves and use their life and their experiences and their gifts. Everybody has a gift, at least one. And to use that to be successful, not just monetarily, because that's really going to happen if you're using your gifts. There's, it's just going to happen. Um, money isn't the issue. Fulfillment is the issue. And so many people are doing all the wrong things for fulfillment because they haven't tapped into that gift and that purpose. So really when you do that and you're concentrating on manifesting your gifts and your talents, you don't have time to be thinking about everything there is to be afraid of. You just don't have time for it. So speaking of don't have time for it, we've got time for the, the famous last question around here, which is legendary. It's going to throw you for a loop, I can promise you, because it always does. Even people that listen to the show are never prepared for it. <laughs> What's your 
What's your favorite breakfast? I like fresh fruit. Um, I love bacon, uh, real crispy. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but I love it, so it's okay. Yeah, so, so like an, an omelet, probably um, my favorite is a really good egg white omelet with real egg whites and Swiss cheese and fruit and um, crispy bacon. Well, thank you, Donna. It has been fun and insightful. And uh, when the next book comes out, uh, Senate and I will have to get it back together and we'll have to do it again. Thank you so much. Uh, sure. I don't know if I meant to do that or not, but we're going to do that. Okay, so we're, as Germantown Runner says, we're rapidly approaching the post here. I just wanted to take a minute and thank everybody for um, – joining us this evening. I hope you got as much out of that as I did. Yeah, fun and exciting. So I don't want to say exciting, but that's what we want to do around here. And I, I hope I'm excited about next week's show. I haven't quite narrowed that. I have got an idea. I've kind of confirmed the guess, but I haven't quite got there. But we're going to get there one way or the other. So that's the goal. So, yeah. It's the Thank you for joining us. It's been a good show tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. Take a few moments, subscribe, share, all the fun stuff. You know how to do it. I don't have to tell you. Just uh, be ready for next week. It'll be sooner than you think. Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast.